welcome to the AcroChats podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the practice of acrobatics in the global acro community. I'm Sean. And I'm Emily. We're partners and teachers based out of New York City, and we love acro. Each week, we dive into acro topics, including training tips and methodology, happenings in history of the practice, and interviews with acro practitioners from around the world. Come hang with us as we explore the world of acro and its global community. Welcome to another episode of the Acro Chats podcast. Here we are. We are. We're going to talk about safety today. So, uh, disclaimer, this episode is going to be focused a little bit about uh physical safety more so than the broader topic that can include like safe spaces and emotional safety. That's just going to be a topic for a whole nother episode. But uh, this one is going to be about safety within your movement, within your acro practice. Bodily safety. (laughs) Yes. The body. So, um, how you doing, Emily? Good. I think, uh, I think we'll kind of like start with a theme that we, the two of us always come back to, which is your solo practice. I think first of all, like your solo practice is part of safety, like having one. (laughs) Yeah. I think if we're talking about, um, like the, so we, you know, we talk about this a lot that acrobatics can be like a lot of things. So we practice partner acrobatics and solo acrobatics. Solo acrobatics can be your handstand practice. It could be a tumbling practice or, um, a broad array of other things. Um, but when you do partner acrobatics, um, especially if you are a, uh, flyer, you need to have a solo acrobatics practice. And a base will also have to have a, uh, a different kind of supporting practice, but uh, should probably also be training their own acrobatics, their own handstands. Yeah, I mean, just as like anecdotally, um, we're kind of 18 months into COVID and you know starting to come back to some sense of normalcy. And um, I'm seeing very commonly people that have had no solo practice for the past 18 months and then coming back to a partner acro and, you know, feeling that their bodies are not holding up as well as they would wish. Um, so I think, you know, the having a solo practice in the first place is important for, um, maintaining your body. And then we can have some specific ideas within that solo practice about how to keep yourself safe. Well, I also just feel like the solo practice is really important for um, kind of being in touch with how your body's feeling. Um, it's like uh, on one of the most basic levels, it's just kind of having a check-in with like your proprioception and where your body is in space before, even if you're trying to, even if you're a base, if you're just trying to hold someone up, like you have to put your body in a certain position. And if the that's the only time you ever do that position, like you get a lot of, a very limited number of reps but then there's also the whole checking in with how your body is feeling. Um, so we have a, like a way that we think we have a few steps with any solo practice that we think are really important um, and have been really helpful for us to stay safe and injury free um, or injury less, not injury free. 
just less injuries. Um, warming up is really big. So before we try to do big things that have high demands on our body, um, we really emphasize warming up in a relevant way to what you're gonna do. So depending on what the practice is, um, the appropriate uh, warm up will vary. And I think that goes kind of general to specific. Um, you know, like we've already talked about joint rotations, previous episodes. We'll talk that's... about them again. <laughs> we'll never stop talking about joint rotations. Um, but that's kind of like where everything always starts in solo practice, um, at least the way that we teach. And then like the warm up ideally should get specific, I and think. Maybe you can just tell them like why we do the joint rotations. Um, in our flexibility episode, if you listen, um, we also discuss, but joint rotations, uh, your joints are lined with fluid. It's called synovial fluid. Um, it's encapsulated around the joint. And, um, if you haven't really moved most of the joints in your body through their range of motion at some point during the day, that synovial fluid can get a little bit kind of viscous and, and less slippery. Um, and so simply moving through your range of motion doesn't have to be like against a load or anything like that. Um, the synovial fluid becomes a little more slippery, a little less viscous and easier to move. Um, it also just kind of like is a little inventory. So you, you're like, okay, my neck rotations felt like this yesterday and today they feel like this. So that's something just to like make a mental note of. Yeah, a big part of what we do as part of our warm-ups also is uh, prehab. So we look at like the demands of the thing we're gonna do and we kind of take stock of like what our um, existing injuries we might be working with or mobility limitations that we're trying to uh, progress with. And we do a few targeted um, prehab exercises, which will be usually like low load, um, but like long duration sort of things to activate muscle groups that might commonly be sleepier. Yeah, um, I think prehab is it's super important um, and it's also very individual. So, you know, this is where we're probably gonna plug like getting to know a good body worker, rehab professional, PT, someone who can recommend um, movement that is individual to your body to kind of fill in the gaps where you need it. Um, and it's gonna be based on your you know, personal injury history and, and your body's needs. The good news with prehab is you probably won't injure yourself by doing too much prehab. You right. might just kind of waste some time, but you also might be like, have a uh, quite well-rounded, low-intensity uh, ability at the end of all that. Yeah. Um, prehab, you know, just to kind of give a concrete example, is like the TheraBand rotator cuff exercises that are so commonly prescribed in, like, uh, the warm-up for a handstand practice. I love them. That's, you know, kind of preparing the rotator cuff, which stabilizes the shoulder joint in this sort of intense practice that we're about to do. 
Yeah. Um, if it's something like you've had an ankle sprain in the past, there may be certain uh, like one-legged balancing exercises that just are to kind of like teach your body to stay in a more specific place. Whereas like when you go to do your more dynamic practice, um, it might be hard to stabilize that area. But then there also might be specific things that are trying to like get your foot to activate um, to support where there might not be like uh, as much support from ligaments and other tissues. Yeah. Um, Speaking from a not personal, <laughs> very personal experience. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, once you've done your general warm up, your joint rotations, whatever it is, um, specificity in the warm up comes from your prehab needs, but then also what is the practice you're preparing for. Um, and some specificity in the warm-up towards the practice itself. Um, here's where I'm going to plug like teachers out there who are you know teaching adults especially. Like if you are going to be leading a workshop on a specific skill and your warm-up is like do your splits and do your bridge, I would say that's not adequate. <laughs> um, you know you want to look at what is the movement that you're doing or what is the skill that you're doing, what range of motion are you going to need and what kind of strength are you going to need and try to build your warm-up around that. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it really starts with figuring out like what do you want to do. If you're, this is to say if you're someone that's leading your own practice or you're leading other people's practice is like, really figure out like what are you trying to accomplish and this doesn't need to be necessarily a specific skill but it could be like i'm trying to feel good in my body i'm trying to like have fun working with other people and you know when we have a clear intention of what we're trying to do with the practice then we can figure out like okay how much warm-up do we need like you don't always need like uh i think people fall into this trap of uh doing like 30 minutes 45 minutes. I've seen people do like hour plus warm-ups. I've seen the warm-up that never, uh, <laughs> the practice never actually begins. And like, hey, I think I've probably been guilty of that because like, it's actually really, warming up is really fun when you, uh, and feels really good in your body if you have the right type. But let's. Uh, but as a, just as a, for instance, like if you're going to practice some Icarian, specific Icarian skill, if you're in your partner practice, well, we're talking about solo practice, but. Um, Let's say you're gonna. Well, it's a solo warm up though. Right. Okay. So let's say you're doing an Icarian skill that you're warming up for. If you're basing, you probably need to warm up your hip, knee, and ankle range of motion, and maybe a little bit of like power. So like some maybe jumping or hopping on one foot. Um, and then if you're flying, maybe some core tension, some tightness practice, um, and then maybe like your pathway of your body moving through space. So maybe, um, you know, you're going to be doing some like forward rolls or, or whatever it is, whatever body position you're going to need um, during the skill. Yeah. And I think uh, once we start to even think about like we are doing the practice, we're, uh, we're training our handstands, we're training our acro, whatever it is, um, knowing when to kind of like pause and like spend time just like working on that skill or regress it to an earlier version to kind of refine it more. 
but that kind of awareness over how, like, uh, you know, being more interested in the process of learning it rather than um, just like getting to the skill and then moving on to the next skill. Um, yeah, I think like that being willing to refine the being willing to refine, I think, is really big. I, I feel like this happens really big in partner acro is um, people want to progress it. Um, they wanted to like get to that next, uh, they want that biggest skill or they just want to see what's next. And really what's next is to like make the thing you're already doing just like a little bit calmer, a little bit better. More consistent. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is also true in a solo practice like handstands, like you gotta be willing to sort of tune in and listen. Um, if you're having like a crappy balance day, then maybe you had a plan to really do your hard balance skills and you end up deciding to just do more strength training or you do your wall drills. Um, because if you're pushing through and you're getting frustrated, um, just checking the boxes to check the boxes. That's definitely when injuries tend to happen. Yeah. And when we're talking about, uh, trying to avoid injuries, there's kind of like two main, uh, types of injuries that kind of happen. There's, or categories, there's the acute injuries, which are going to be like you fell, um, and like you, you now have a bruise or you have like sprained some ligaments or you've um emily broken a bone <laughs> yeah um got a concussion yeah you know like there's obviously some dramatic examples of this there's some like less dramatic examples but acute trauma um is something that kind of happens all at once yeah and these are things that we're gonna that you mitigate by um, you know, awareness of your environment that you're practicing in, making sure you have like adequate space around you. Like this could be as simple as something in either a handstand or a flexibility practice. I've seen people kick plants. I've seen people shatter lamps. Um, and like, you know, sometimes those things like are like harmless, but sometimes like, I feel like a lot of acrobats um the main source of injuries in acrobats is just like walking down the stairs or like slipping on the sidewalk mm -hmm. um usually people are pretty aware mm -hmm. in their own bodies but like accidents happen if you train every day or you train many days over the course of time mm -hmm. you, you know practice has its risks and risk is you know that's something that you kind of take on when you uh step out of the world, but when you become an acrobat of any variety, you're definitely uh, exposing yourself to a level of risk, but being willing to like uh, rest. Uh, well, let's stay with the uh, acute, being willing to, uh, yeah, staying aware of your surroundings, that's other people also, um, not taking unnecessary risks um, as far as like, if you're more beginner at handstands, uh, you probably shouldn't be doing it in the middle of the room. Like if you have very, if you don't feel comfortable falling out of a handstand, uh, you shouldn't be kicking up in the middle of the room on a hard surface. I've seen plenty of people like fall over flat on their back when they're very beginner um, because they, 
they had the this memory of being able to do a handstand of some sort, or maybe they could do it like when they were much younger, and then they decide to like call upon that skill because they still got it or they're drunk at a wedding. Um, that was, I mean, yeah, that happened. Well, um, you know, so when it comes to acute stuff, um, that's a moment, if you're in the middle of a practice, that's a moment to kind of pause and say, okay, like what's going on? We assess the situation. We'll probably have a whole episode on like specific types of injuries and their, their management and their recovery process. But um, depending on how bad that is, that might be the time in the practice that you need immediate care and you need to stop. And like that might just be very apparent or that might be, you know, sometimes uh, people train on through injuries sometimes and it's not always, especially like right after something has occurred, uh, probably don't want to stick with the highest intensity stuff. Um, maybe like cooling down things that were not just like affected, but probably that session has kind of come to an end. The thing that I think is the other type of injury that's actually probably a lot more common is more overuse injuries or chronic injuries. Yeah, um, I mean, overtraining mean, meaning pain or discomfort, um, inflammation, some kind of dysfunction stemming from essentially the training that you're doing. Um, and then you can also have like a pre-existing issue that is interfering with your present training. Um, you know, maybe something that has occurred throughout your life. You know, a lot of people have chronic lower back pain and it's not necessarily from their handstand practice, but it affects their handstand practice. Um, and those are the sorts of things where, you, you know, you want to have an ongoing awareness and a kind of ongoing personal check-in. And then it's a little less clear that whether or not this is going to cause you to have to change your practice for today. Um, and, you know, kind of knowing your body and checking in and having this practice, part of that is kind of constantly assessing, constantly figuring out, you know, do I add more load? Do I step it back? And again, kind of being willing to not cling too tightly to your practice goals for the day. Yeah, I think with uh, overuse or, um, you know, like overtraining injuries, under recovery injuries, um, you know, that really just has to do with like, a lot of it has to do with managing load, managing expectations even. Um, for instance, like when someone uh, decides that they want to train like a one-arm handstand, um, I'm definitely seeing this with one of our teachers at the studio right now, um, where they're training one arms and then like, they're feeling like, oh, my elbow's kind of like burning. My uh, wrists are kind of sore. And you know, when you take on certain higher level goals, like if you decide you want to train aerial straps, like your body is going to probably feel things. Um, and you know, I think there's feeling soreness and feeling like like things happening that, uh, you know, there's a certain amount that's like healthy and fine. And then there's knowing when like you have to give yourself time to recover or be willing to be patient with uh, how your body adapts to it. Uh, I forget the exact numbers on it. Emily probably knows them, but basically like your connective tissues take more time to adapt to new stress than your uh, muscles do. So you, 
there's this like underlying you will be developing the uh that raw power and like the ability to get somewhere but like your tissues are going to still be kind of like catching up a little bit yeah and i think this is where like developing discernment um and if you are going to be a practitioner of these high level skills like you're just going to have to develop a more intimate knowledge of how your body works than like the average person that sits at a desk for 60 hours a week. Um, and you know, that's, I guess like the yoga of, of your practice is just kind of knowing yourself. Well, we actually, uh, we said that we were going to start with this, but really one of the most underlying factors is like, how do you take care of your body when you're not practicing? Mm -hmm. Um, so like, this could be as simple as like your posture when you're sitting at a desk. Cause you know, if you're someone that is, you feel like you're kind of stiff and you want to do deeper back bends and then you spend the majority of your day, like, uh, in a very rounded back or like, uh, leaning. I mean, honestly, people sit on their, people sit on their backs rather than on their butts really commonly. Like there's a really good chance you're doing it right now. If you check, like, are you on top of your like sitting bones or are you like kind of like lower back pressed backwards into your chair? I'm sorry to call you out like that, but like, Hey, now you're aware of it, but those kind of things, like, um, it might not affect you. It might, you might like have like fine, uh, lumbar extension, fine thoracic extension, great spinal mobility. And you just happen to like your body gravitates to sitting in that position. But if you're, you know, I think starting to build a little bit of awareness around the way that we sit around the way that you, um, breathe about how much sleep you're getting, how you're eating, are you staying hydrated? All of these things are really, uh, related to like how your body is going to feel in a movement practice. Yeah. I mean, this discussion wraps around nicely <laughs> to like arriving at your practice and then also like what happens after your practice. Um, you know, those are, they become essentially the same thing because if you want to practice most days, um, what happens in between is, you know, like the recovery or, um, basically how you arrive, uh, and what you do after affect like how you're going to be able to progress. So <clears throat> what you do with your body during the day, you know, sitting at your desk or if you have a long commute or, uh, you know, maybe you really want to be able to do significantly deep back bends, but you also are obsessed with running and like, that's not to say you can't, but just know that those things are going to affect each other. But also as Sean mentioned, literally how much do you sleep? How much water do you drink every day? What sort of nutrition status are you walking around with? Even like, like the level of, uh, <laughs> your emotional state, like will also like that dictates like your hormones and like your brain chemistry. So, you know, I hate to say like negative thought patterns, like, but are not safe, but literally not like they will put your body into, uh, a more like tense state, which does not predispose you to like focus and fluidity necessary for yeah. acro practice. 
Um, and I think like neither of us is a nutritionist, you know, neither of us is a physician or a medical doctor. Emily um, is but... a doctor of, in the medical field. <laughs> I, have, I have a clinical doctor, but um, all of which is to say, like, we can speak from our personal experience and we really advocate for everyone else to develop their personal experience to kind of know these things about yourself. Um, you know, even from like, if you're a female bodied person, like, where are you in your cycle? Um, which is going to significantly affect like what your practice plan is for the day potentially. Um, because hormones affect how your connective tissues react and adapt. Um, and so, you know, we talked about these different kinds of injuries, one of them being overtraining injury. I've actually read, and I really like the idea that overtraining injuries are, Sean mentioned it, under recovery injuries. Um, because let's face it, we're both kind of a little bit obsessive about movement. Most of the people that we hang out with are pretty avid practitioners. Um, we're not gonna have like a lot of days off from training, nor do I really think it's required to take a ton of days off. Um, I try not to recommend it when it's not necessary, but you have to really pay attention to what your recovery practices are if you're gonna be training every day. Yeah. And before we, uh, before we wrap up this conversation, I think we should use this last section to talk about safety within partner acrobatics. Um, so, the overuse injuries, these uh, these can happen for either party, but I'd say the overuse injuries within partner acro are more, much more common to bases. Um, so things like hand-to-hand -hand and eye carry and these are things that if you do like a lot of repetitions of things and you don't have either um, the right preparation within your own body, so a lot of like standing acrobatics, um, it asks for either easier standing acrobatics to prepare you for it, or it asks for like having experience lifting weights. Um, a lot of the positions, like uh, the way that you would hold a standing foot to hand or a um, standing hand to hand is like a front rack position. So if you've been in the gym and you've lifted 135 pounds in a front uh, rack position and done front squats with it, you'll probably feel pretty good in uh, lifting a person. Uh, but you also might run into the different like mobility limitations of that position. Like that's something, uh, my elbows don't bend all that well because I don't bend them <laughs> uh, deeply all that much. Like I don't practice all that much standing hand to hand and standing foot to hand. Even though I've been doing it for many years, I just kind of have the skills I have. So my elbow mobility doesn't really improve from doing it and then I don't spend all that much time trying to bend my elbows deep. But uh, that's to say that, uh, you know, if I was someone who was less aware about this and I was just decided that I really wanted to be able to do a ton of standing foot to hand or I wanted to get good at hand to hand and like I just started getting all the reps in I could with anyone I could, um, my elbows are gonna probably get sore. Um, or like someone's might, someone else might be kind of, uh, because they don't have that experience with lifting, perhaps, they might kind of dump into their lower back a little bit uh, to balance. 
um, or they just don't have an awareness that they shouldn't be doing it because they found something that was stable, even though it's uh, not necessarily super sustainable. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that overtraining injuries are prevalent in in basing. Um, I think that has to do with like understanding how to like get under a load efficiently and like brace and you know bracing it makes the skill effective if you're basing it like you you must brace so that you don't get knocked over otherwise the skill doesn't happen but bracing is also part of like keeping your body safe keeping your spine safe yeah um it's kind of interesting because these this type of injury is kind of almost like a mix between an overuse and a um and an acute and it, i would compare this to someone that's doing like icarian or whip pops or like L basing that's kind of dynamic and they get like lower back pain from that where it's like that individual instance probably actually was kind of like this little micro stress um, or like that might be like a 1% of an injury and then as you do like 50 reps 100 reps whatever it is that's where like the it starts to become some something that needs to be addressed or something that starts to affect your practice more obviously. Yeah, I'm just thinking about one, you know, possible exception or, you know, a counterexample, which yeah. is one of the most common overtraining, quote unquote, injuries that I see um, in the acro world is hand-to-hand -hand flyers, wrist pain. Um, mm. And, you know, I think that, again, comes from, like, inefficiencies. Um, where you know we'll just go right back to like what is your solo practice um and if your understanding of handstand is really solid you know wrist pain happens for almost everyone that is in the circus world um but and as you're getting calibrated and you're not quite making it in the skills um, most of the time the base is a larger stronger person than the flyer so if it's a hand-to-hand -hand situation the base the base's strength is gonna win <laughs> over the flyer's strength, um, but you know if the if the awareness and solidity of the handstand is really really solid, um, you can preserve those small joints um, pretty well. Yeah. So overuse injuries are again just something that we need to be aware of. That I think that has to do with listening to your own body, even within a partner practice. This becomes hard sometimes because your partner says like, can we do it again? Or they give you feedback to, they ask you to do something in a different way. And you try something that maybe wasn't like what your body would have naturally done. So there's a lot of variables. And I think just being willing to like listen to your body and kind of notice what's happening, being willing to, same as in a solo movement practice, like, or solo acro practice, take a step back or to like, say that's enough for now. Um, definitely want to still talk about the, you know, accident prevention or like, yeah, the, uh, how do we prevent acute injuries? Cause these are things that happen kind of really quickly. Um, sometimes they're unpreventable. Sometimes there's just things that we had no clue were happening on the inside and like you would think your body would be fine, but it just turned out something was on the brink. Um, there's also just things that are out of our control, like environmental factors, like you might get hit by somebody else that what you weren't practicing with, like someone might like, you might be, <laughs> uh, someone might be standing in the, might walk into your pathway 
when you're practicing. But I think what the one thing we can, we always think about like how can we prevent it is how do we provide, uh, how can we avoid falls? Like uh, a base dropping a flyer, whether it's dropping a flyer onto the ground or onto themselves. Or as a flyer, how do you not like uh, fall in a way that is kind of out of line with like the agreed upon skill? Yeah, and I think this um, speaks to like, you know, calibrated partnerships where you have like an ongoing strategy to minimize these opportunities for falls. Um, but then, you know, even if you're just like at a park jam, um, I think a lot of it comes down to communication, right? So if you're approaching someone that you've never worked with before, you ask them to like try a skill, you know, make sure, have you done this before? Which way would you like to exit? You know, things like that. Um, and then in a calibrated partnership, even same thing. Like we have an understanding that in our partnership, the strategy for exiting this skill is only in this direction. Um, or I'm always going to lower you so that you don't have to come down from a, a big height. And, you know, we try to go for consistency as much as possible. That being said, again, things happen and we can take we can take certain measures to minimize risks with spotting and safety yeah. equipment and all of that. Yeah. One final, well, one other note on kind of like accurate self-assessment. This uh, term kind of gets, it definitely used to get thrown around a lot in the, uh, acro, the partner acro, acro yoga community. And it's, you know, judging whether you should be doing the thing and like kind of doing that. There's the uh, self-assessment for you as an individual, like even though your partner might say, hey, do you want to jump into this hand-to-hand? -hand? Or hey, do you want to try to do a front tuck? Or like, hey, do you want to fly nunchucks? Um, you might not know what uh, that skill, you might not really know that skill that well. And you're kind of like uh, at the mercy of the information that that person is going to provide. And this could happen for a base or a flyer, but it's uh, just much more common for a base to be able to lead a less experienced uh, person. It's much more easy for them to uh, kind of guide people through a new skill to some degree. But, uh, you know, just because you can guide someone through the movement doesn't mean you really understand the full details of the movement. So, you know, as a flyer, like for your own safety, being willing to like, do I, do I understand what I'm being asked to do? As a base, like having that self-assessment to like, okay, what, what should I be working on right now? Like, is this the appropriate, um, like, why do I want to move to the next thing? Is it because this last thing was so so good, so like flawless that um, like it only makes sense to do it? Or is it because like you're trying to get somewhere? And I think being willing to like take the long road uh, to a degree, um, partially a coach will be able to, uh, having a coach is really helpful in safety because they will kind of take a lot of these uh, factors of overtraining um, safety, um, they can help mitigate these via spotting, via using like safety lines, via um, telling you how many reps of something to do and like kind of saying when to regress or when to move on. Giving you kind of prerequisites like, you know, if it feels like you can do this eight out of ten times cleanly, then you can try like the harder step, you know. Yeah, and we're big about play also like we don't necessarily feel like every training needs to be super strict 
But I think it just comes down to like, do you like, are you moving in a way that feels fundamentally safe? And I think if you're like a skilled mover in your own right, this makes it easy to move in that way with a partner. Like when two good movers um, that, and you know, movement, for, good movement, good mover within the context of like, it's gonna make for clean acro no matter what you do, is a little bit of a special movement quality. It's like a lot based around like awareness and fluidity. I use fluidity as like this idea of the, you minimize impact. You're not, uh, you, you can tell when things are shaky and you kind of look to mitigate that. Um, and I think one other thing within a partner acro practice specifically, environment becomes really important. So especially when you're just coming down from heights, uh, not landing on hard surfaces. Like people look at grass as a, a safe place, a soft surface, and like really, like it's almost as hard as like wood. It's mm -hmm. like maybe slightly softer, maybe less abrasive, but like, um, you know, like acro is really commonly practiced like outside in jams and parks in many communities, and that's a great thing and a beautiful thing. But it's also important that like, you know, if you're someone that's trying to progress themselves as an acrobat, you don't uh, make the grass your primary training space without like, you know, doing things to mitigate risk. This could be using spotting. This could someone who a third party or potentially multiple like spotters to minimize the risk of the movement. So putting someone in like the vulnerable spot to uh, help bring a flyer down. We personally are really big advocates of like working progressions um, over using spotting because if a spotter is used to, uh, we could do a whole episode about spotting probably, but we try to not use spotters to uh, get people through something. We try to use a spotter to bridge the gap, maybe to stabilize in a position where you wouldn't have gotten as much time without one. In our personal acro practice, I would say very rarely are we using spotting, but that's just because we've tried to work the progressions a lot. Last, one last thing about safety equipment and your space. Um, I would also say like mats and lines, they're there, um, but they're there to be used like skillfully. So just having a mat doesn't necessarily mean you've made it safer. In some instances, you may have made it more dangerous because of the placement of the mat. So, you know, this is where coaching and teaching becomes really important. Like if you're not sure, maybe don't do it today or maybe ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of different, yeah, there's so many things we could talk about. Like, um, you know, for lines and even for a lot of types of spotting, I'd say they're most usefully, they're most useful in things that uh, are just, inherently a little unpredictable. So things that um, involve timing and aim that just might be off, but have to be fully committed to, like uh, flipping movements. So if you're someone that's gonna try to do a, a Corbett, a hand-to-hand, uh, -hand, uh, standing hand-to-hand -hand, uh, flyer does a half turn down into a foot-to-hand, that's just something that the base might miss the catch. And having uh, lines to catch the flyer um, or a spotter that knows how to do this is just like a useful thing to 
if nothing else, just get over the fear of it. Even if, uh, so you get it up to the point that you can, can move through it with your eyes open as a flyer and <laughs> you feel like you're aware through the whole movement and not just like having a fight or flight response for your safety, then like you can move out of lines in a safer way and you can kind of gradually decrease the support. Yeah, I'm sure we'll <coughs> come back to this discussion and like maybe have a more fleshed out conversation about lines and spotting. Um, we have a lot of opinions about it, but um, barring an unforeseen like acute injury, you know, maybe start to think about what is your recovery process like? How do you take care of yourself in between practice times? Um, we both have our personal like habits and routines and um, maybe at some point we can kind of talk about like what we do individually, um, but we won't belabor that today. Yeah. Um, final note for partner practice, your partner is a person, they are probably trying something new um, and they're learning something new. That's a challenging thing, particularly if you're a base. Flyers have a much scarier role in a lot of, uh, in a lot of cases. For flyers, your base has a lot of uh, responsibility and a lot of things that they have to think about. So it's hard to focus. So if they get short, uh, being patient with your bases. Bases, try not to be short. Like your flyer's a person, once again. Not speaking from personal experience. But on that note, thanks for joining today, everyone. We will certainly talk about all these things more. Um, but yeah, we're doing lots of really fun things. Uh, listen to the commercials. Look at our websites, Instagrams. Anything else, Emily? See you out there. Peace out, yo. Hey everyone, we're super excited to tell you about the Cirque House Festival coming to New York City November 12th to 14th. This is gonna be a three-day weekend festival featuring day-long intensives, weekend workshops, um, classes in handstands, flexibility, partner acrobatics. We have lots of great guest teachers coming in. If you wanna learn more about this, you can go to warriorbridge.com slash festival. Hope we see you there. Warrior Bridge is a leading provider of online instruction in handstands, flexibility, movement, and partner acrobatics. Classes are filmed daily from our downtown Manhattan studio and live streamed around the globe to meet you wherever you are in the world. Our classes offer students the unique opportunity to receive real-time feedback and answers from expert instructors and connect to a movement community that spans the globe. If you aren't able to attend class in real time, you can catch class replays at any time via our on-demand library. Head over to warriorbridge.com to learn more.